Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Exponential Finance Podcast. It's a real pleasure today to welcome Max Kordek, who is founder of Lisk and the blockchain pioneer. Hello, Max. Welcome to the show. Hey, hey Norbert. Thanks for having me. List came out in 2016. You've been really early in this industry, and there is a huge roadmap now that the team is working on implementing. It feels almost like the second generation of List. Maybe we'll start not with a full history, but with a snapshot of where we are today, what has been completed, what's the view for new feature releases coming up. Yes, so we started 2016. It's been a very long journey for us. Five years full of ups and downs. Development-wise, we can probably say that we got better and better over the years. In the beginning, everything was a little bit chaotic. You know how it has been in 2016 and blockchain space, everything being so young and fresh and very new. So we also had to find ourselves first with the big distraction coming up in 2018 when the markets went crazy. But I think since then we have progressed very nicely as seen on our roadmap page on this.io. We are working currently on the LISC Core 3.0 version, which comes with a multitude of LIPs being implemented. The LIP is a LISC improvement proposal which is basically a research paper for a specific topic. And this Core 3.0 version I'm talking about is coming with a new fee system, a new consensus system, new address system, better multi-signature mechanism, and a multitude of other features. And we've been working on this now for nearly a year, I think. And it will basically mean a new age for the LISC network because the biggest pain points for us were always our delegated proof of stake consensus mechanism, which was leading towards centralized groups collecting votes on the network in order to gain more power. And our new delegated proof of stake consensus mechanism which will be introduced with this Core 3.0 version, will prevent that. So this will be one of the major pain points taken away. Another major pain point was always the fee system because we have a static fee system. Every transaction costs 0.1 LISC. And with the new system, it's dynamic. It's similar to Bitcoin or Ethereum, where the sender can just specify a fee per byte. And then depending on the transaction size, the fee is different. Yeah, many, many other features. We are working currently on the alpha testing of that release because in our case, as probably many of you listeners know, we are also working on the LISC SDK, which is a toolkit for developers to build their own blockchain applications. But the most interesting part for us is that we're using that SDK also for LISC Core. We're using our own tool for our own network. This list core 3.0 version basically includes the SDK versions 3.0, 4.0, and 5.0. So it's a huge release, full packed with interesting features. And this SDK 5.0 version is currently in alpha testing. Over the last few months, our process was that we're working on a new SDK version. We pushed it then to a beta net, which is similar to a test net, but it starts fresh from scratch. And currently, the latest one is BetaNet 3.0. And we are working towards now releasing or launching BetaNet 4.0, which was built with the SDK 4.0 version. After that, then we are working towards releasing or launching the BetaNet 5.0 version, which was built with the SDK 5.0. So you see, it's very complicated with many different versions. To sum it all up, we're working towards that big release. And this will be concluded with an external security audit to make sure everything is very safe and sound 
so that our user base can with full confidence go into that new release. Thank you for that. As you said, it's a complex roadmap, but it also has been very transparent on the LIS website with monthly updates and the full transparency across the different work streams and the improvement proposals that are included in there. So for the community, it's actually relatively simple to follow. I would say so. The major problem we had was always that we have so many different products. We have the LISC SDK, this toolkit I was mentioning. We have LISC Core, which spans up our own network. We have LISC Service, which just launched this month, actually, which is like a service layer between our network and our user interfaces, which are LISC Desktop and LISC Mobile. And then, of course, we also still have a Blockchain Expo. So we have all these different products working together. And currently, my responsibility at LISC is basically the marketing and business development team next to all the managerial tasks. For marketing, we're basically just focusing on transparency and bringing all these information out to the world so that people actually understand what we are doing. One major part of that is, of course, our roadmap, which lists all the different phases we have and all the different objectives per phase. And then for each objective, we have these LIPS, these LISC improvement proposals, which I was mentioning before, which in great detail explain every single objective from a scientific, from a research basis on, because whatever we are doing on the network is heavily researched and tested in advance. Speaking about transparency, we are not only very transparent on the development aspect, which happens totally open source on GitHub, we are also very transparent with our finances. We're publishing monthly finance updates of the LISC Foundation, which breaks down our costs in different cost categories, and also our assets we hold, like we have a few cryptocurrencies and a few fiat currencies for our community to really get a good feeling about the project. We are all about transparency. We are all about accessibility and bringing blockchain to the world because we're maybe not so much about our token and bringing it to investors and trying to pump it. We really want to be more focused on this other aspect of our project. And that's why we put so much effort in that. So what is your best estimate for a release of 5.0 with all the improvement proposals included? The SDK can be always released relatively quickly. What takes for us so long this time is the mainnet deployment of LISC Core. So I guess the LISC SDK is soon getting ready for public testing by the community for which we accept it into our list builders program and which maybe I will later tell a few more things and our um, documentation will support the product. So the SDK, I guess, will be able to be used quite soon. The next few months for production usage, I think we're always waiting for the list core mainnet deployment then, which will come in 2021, somewhere in the beginning. It's always very, very difficult to estimate it. So I shy away from dates or anything, so I can only give very rough estimates here. Understood. Let's come back for a deeper dive on the delegated proof of stake. How is the new mechanism going to change? Well, to start off, the miners in our network, you could just simply call delegates. In the, let's call it DPoS 1.0 consensus algorithm of LISC, every LISC holder was able to vote for 101 delegates with all his LISC at the same time. So one LISC represents one vote on the network. 
And then the 101 delegates with the most votes on the entire network are the active ones and they are able to create new blocks. And as a user, one disk actually at that time, which represents one vote, was able to be delegated or voted for 101 delegates. So it was somehow like possible to create then bigger groups in which everyone votes for everyone at the same time and pushing this entire group up in the ranking. And this was the major pain point for us because we want, of course, a decentralized and fair network. In the new, let's call it DPoS 2.0 consensus algorithm or mechanism, this simultaneous voting for 101 delegates will not be possible anymore. There it will really be that one list is one unique vote. So let's say you have 100 lists in your account and you want to vote for one delegate, then you can appoint all these 100 lists to this one delegate, 100 votes. But if you now have another delegate you like and you want to vote for, then you can only deduct, let's say, 50 to the one and 50 to the other, or 20 to the one and 80 to the other. This makes it very inefficient actually to create groups because you split up the list. So you have no advantage over being alone or being in a group. Maybe there will be few people, like two or three people bundling together, working on the same project and trying to all become delegates. But we assume and we research that quite heavily and run a few simulations that this will not really be the case. So with that new consensus algorithm, we make our network more decentralized again and more fair. Everyone will have an equal opportunity and chance again to become an active delegate. Another thing we have implemented for every round, that means for every 101 delegates who create a block, which equals one round on our network, there's also the chance for two random non-active delegates to create a block. And here the probability is similar to a proof of stake consensus algorithm, just depending on how many votes they have and the probability is higher for them to create blocks. And that adds this randomness factor as well so that everyone beyond the rank of 101 also still has an opportunity to create blocks. It's essentially like becoming a mixed POS, DPOS consensus algorithm, which makes it then again a little bit more fair, more secure, and of course, just more decentralized. And comes an interesting question of game theory, which might be more beneficial for somebody to stake with delegates that are outside the 101, but have a great weight and probability to become one of the two extras rather than vote for some delegates that are already within the 101. Yeah, it's a very interesting question. Actually, if you're in the 101, every round you're guaranteed to create a block. So this probability will always be 100. And the standby ones will be less than 100 because there can always be another standby delegate creating the block. But what's actually interesting is how many votes do you collect with the delegate in the top? And maybe should you create a second delegate with just enough lists in the ranks outside the 101, which can maybe create additional blocks every round. And with that, I think you can optimize it in a way that you're actually creating more blocks than someone who's just having one delegate. But this is still fair because it is based on proof of stake. And depending on the amount of list you have, the probability is just higher. But that is exactly what proof of stake systems do. And it's, in my opinion, very secure. We see it in other currencies as well, like NXT running very securely and safely since many, many years now. 
So it's a very interesting aspect and people will probably try to optimize their rewards here. But I think in no way this is a bad thing. Agreed. Also, additionally, in this staking mechanism, the LISC will be locked up for different times depending on whether you're a delegate or not. Yes, exactly. So the LIP is describing like many, many more things that I didn't communicate just now. Uh, there are lockup periods, depending if you're a delegate, you lock them up for longer. If you're just voting, you're locking them up for shorter. There are punishment mechanisms. If a delegate is producing bad blocks or, or wrong blocks, then he's getting punished for that. And if like a delegate is producing no blocks anymore for a certain time, he's completely banned from the network. So there are many, many more aspects of it. I just gave a very high level overview for everyone who's interested can just always head to our roadmap on our website and then basically go under the phase network consensus. And there are four objectives which summarize then with linked lips all the details and all the specifications. Economically, I saw a presentation that stated if you had 10,000 lists, you would expect an average of 50 blocks and associated block rewards per month. Yes, if that's what the researchers say, and that's very likely true. That shows that with minimal amount of list, you have a great opportunity to become part of the network. And I think that's pretty cool. Maybe the last point I wanted to ask on the technical detail is also about the block finality. It was mentioned as a change as part of this release as well. How is that going to change? This is part of our security and reliability phase, which was implemented with the SDK 3.0 and where the beta net is also already up and running since a few months. This block finality was added by adding a BFT, like a Byzantine fault tolerant consensus algorithm, on top of our DPoS consensus algorithm. And this basically means that after a certain amount of blocks, the block will not be able to be played back. Because if you know, for example, Bitcoin, you always wait, let's say, six blocks for a reason, because the blockchain can actually roll back because it could be that it was on the wrong chain and you never know. The longer the chain goes, starting from the point where you send a transaction, the less likely it becomes that this is the wrong chain because the network always tries to stay in sync. Similar it is with LISC, much less likely because we have these predefined delegates and it's all much more efficient in terms of selecting who is creating the next blocks, predefined per round basically. But we needed to add this block finality which I think, if I remember correctly, in the worst case, makes it final after 150 blocks. We needed to add it because our second biggest milestone coming next year is blockchain interoperability. Now imagine you're sending from the Lisk main blockchain to a sidechain of Lisk. So let's say a blockchain application built with our SDK some LISC tokens. And okay, both of these chains only know their own ecosystems. They only have a view on their own blockchain. Okay. So how can you make sure that when you're sending it from A to B, that maybe not one of the chains were on a fork and was rolling back. And then on one of the chains, you have received the list, but on the other one, you never sent it. And then you have chaos because else you would have somehow make sure that all these blockchains constantly inspect and view each other. And in the case of a fork on one chain, all the chains have to roll back. And that's not possible. That's why we added this block finality so that we can say, hey, after 150 blocks, 
it's 100% certain that this is final. Not 99.9999999%, 100%. And that's why we had to add this block finality to make sure that in a later stage, what we're currently researching, this blockchain interoperability works flawlessly. Thank you. And definitely want to come back to the interoperability, clearly a hot topic right now. But before we do so, you mentioned earlier also the LISC service, which has been recently published and seems to be a very attractive option for a developer to get a higher level abstraction of the blockchain. How has it been the adoption so far during the first month or so? We released it just a few days ago, and essentially it's a middle layer, it's a service layer between the blockchain and the user interface. So it's very resource intensive to always go directly to the blockchain node in order to just get one transaction or a block information onto your user interface. Imagine you're hosting a user interface and then 10,000 people doing that concurrently. That's just not working so well. That's why we developed this LISC service, which is a tool for developers again, so that they can implement more scalable, but also just better user interfaces. Because our SDK allows you to, of course, develop your own API also for your blockchain app. But we feel on the blockchain level, this should always be kept to a minimum. And if you want to add further abstraction or further features, um, you should always do that on the middle layer. So true LISC service. And this allows you to have more complex, let's say, user interface statistics about your blockchain app or just show more rich data in general. Adoption-wise, I don't have any numbers. I assume the number is relatively small, though, because it is really designed for developers to build more feature-rich user interfaces and more scalable user interfaces. And we're still in that proof-of-concept phase it would take a developer a few days or weeks to really say, okay, hey, when I have now my app, I want to use LISC service as well. And because it's just out for a few days, that's not feasible for a developer to now stop all work and say, okay, I'm going to implement that now. And they have to plan it carefully. And probably also we have to maybe add one or two things to our documentation still. So it's a smooth process. Similar to the SDK, we're also using LISC service ourselves. In the future, we will, for that, also give it a different name internally, but that's not yet final. At the end, what we are doing with it is that we serve user interface information to Lisk Desktop and Lisk Mobile. Previously, for example, we were just showing, let's say, the latest blocks as a list in our user interface. And now we can provide the user with much more statistics, like which blocks were full, which were empty, what is the distribution, which delegate created which blocks, and like many shards, like pie shards. And this is just very useful for the user at the end. So in order for the list service to take processing burden of the underlying blockchain, does it actually cache some of this data or keep snapshot of these statistics? It has its own database in which it's pulling all the information in. So it doesn't always have to ping the node. So it's just all local available and can be then processed and you can do with the data whatever you want to do. And it's also, I think, but I'm not sure, also cache. Don't put a seal on that one. If we're using Redis to cache it also to make it more faster available. We're doing that on the block explorer we have, but I'm not sure if we are actually already doing that on the service. 
So I'm not sure there, but it's super fast. No need at all right now to worry about performance and scalability of Lisk service. That's definitely a given that this is a major improvement for user interface developers to get the data they need and process it in the way they, they want to process it. Cool. Anybody who's interested in it more, as we said, can go to the Lisk website. There are things on decoding, encoding information from a communication storage perspective. There's stuff on Merkle trees. There's a, there's a new service on that, etc. So if you're interested in the technical detail, check out the roadmap or check it out on GitHub even. Which leads us then also to the second point, research, and you mentioned interoperability already, which of course is a hot topic. What is your perspective on what are you planning in that space? Blockchain interoperability was one of the major topics for Lisk since the beginning. It was one of the killer features for Lisk we always advertised. In our ecosystem, everyone is always screaming sidechains. It took us a very long time to actually get our own blockchain up and running and then release the SDK. And now the next step being interoperability. So it took us a long time to get to this point. But now since the beginning of 2020, we are researching that part. And the research is divided into four phases. The first phase was a competitor's analysis in which we just analyzed all the different actors, projects, and techniques on the market and see what are they doing? What's the status quo? What is the world's interoperability status? I don't know how many projects they have researched, but I think it was a few dozens. From that one, we went into the next phase, which was to get a high-level direction set up. And this one was between Oliver and myself, Oliver's co-founder and CTO of the Lisk project, myself as co-founder and CEO, bringing in the business perspective, and then our five researchers. We had many, many meetings, long meetings, defining a few high-level abstractions where we want to take it. Like high-level directions, you could imagine how is the Lisk token being used for this interoperability aspect or what kind of addresses do the people have on the side chains? Is it the same address as on the main chain? Or is it a different address on the side chain? These kind of discussions, you know, very high level. What kind of interoperability protocol do we want to use? I have to be very careful to not reveal anything at this point. That was the second phase. And then the third phase in which we are currently in, the specification phase in which the researchers hide in a room for a few months and specify everything out of our direction we want to take, but not from a high level, but really from a low level aspect, like where they fully research what's necessary, what's required, and how will the protocol function. And once they did that, we will cross-check. There will be many open questions probably still, which we need to align on and where we have to make some decisions. And from there, then, they will go into the final stage, which is to write the lips for that, the research papers, to fully then write down how everything will work. And I guess that will end up in many, many different lips being published, and I'm really looking forward to that. As I mentioned to you earlier, like in terms of timelines, I don't want to give anything. I definitely think we need the whole year for the research, probably also into next year. But I guess we can reveal more and more information beginning of next year already. will be exciting to watch. I mean, I assume that one of the competitors you've looked at comes from Berlin as well with Gavin and the Polkadot team. Actually, it's funny, like we see two other projects in the space as so-called primary competitors. In my opinion, it's not competition. 
It is just to bring finally this great technology to more people. Internally, we call it competitors because they're doing something very similar to us, but still a bit different. And yes, one of those is Polkadot, also based here in Berlin with Gavin and the team from Parity, etc., or the Web3 Foundation. And the other one is Cosmos, which, okay, you could say is based in San Francisco, but actually most of the people also sit here in Berlin. Actually, three startups doing very similar things, building an SDK for blockchain development and bringing blockchain interoperability to their community by then connecting these various blockchain applications built are all sitting in Berlin. And that's pretty cool. It is a startup center, blockchain center, really, right? Ah, yeah, it's, it's crazy here. I mean, now it's a bit weird with the COVID-19 pandemic and no meetups happening. Since years, you have meetups every week, multiple conferences being hosted here every year, and just so many people interested in that field so that you can always just meet up for a coffee in the afternoon or so to talk about it. And uh, it's really like a melting pot of blockchain technology here, which is why this city is so great. We have one co-working space called Fullnode here, established by the Gnosis guys. And that's why we also made the decision ourselves to establish a LISC center Berlin here. So we have multiple LISC centers all over the world. One in Tokyo, probably for you most interesting, one in Utrecht, Netherlands, and then soon here in Berlin, which are basically co-working locations but also event locations to attract developers into our community. Especially the Utrecht one and the Berlin one are very focused on developers, where we host hackathons, workshops, and tech or dev-orientated meetups in order to really build our developer community. How did the Utrecht one come about? Yes, so this was a few years ago. One of our previous marketing people, he moved on by now for new opportunities in the Bitcoin space, not the altcoin space. He knew someone from our community who was based in the Netherlands. The person was interested in establishing something like a LISC center, a co-working space for blockchain enthusiasts. And I guess his angle was to add the name LISC so that we can partially fund this process. After a few talks back and forth, he was also sold on the idea of it being LISC only, at least in the way how we initially set it up. And that's how it came about. We, as the LISC Foundation, are supporting it yearly by paying the rent for the space. In the very beginning, the LISC community gathered together and dedicated, I'm not sure, but it was definitely over 100,000 LISC in order to establish the furniture, the branding of the space and so on. Since then, the team is super motivated, hosting multiple meetups and workshops like every month. And well, since the pandemic online on List Chat, uh, if you're all heading to list.chat, it's a Discord-based server for List discussions. And there they're also hosting digital meetups with our community. They're doing tremendous efforts in order to attract developers to our community. And it's really, really great really makes a lot of fun working together with them and seeing what they are realizing with our SDK and with our community to build our ecosystem out. Yeah, and that's how the Utrecht Center came about. From there, we got inspired because we saw how well it works to also open up the Berlin one, which will have a very similar angle and super interesting next the month after next month in November 20th, we will open up the space. Um, it will be a digital event online due to the current circumstances. 
in which we talk a little bit about the space itself and give a bit of a tour so that everyone can see how it looks like and what we have planned for it, followed up by just regular discussions about what's our development progress, what's our research progress, and what are our plans ahead. And there we might reveal a few more details, which I was not able to mention today. So definitely make sure to tune in. And the day after then, it's an open door session where we will, under strict regulations and controls, let people into the space, check it out physically so people can get a better feeling for it because we also have a very big community here in Berlin who are interested in that. Um, if you're looking back, we had in the past events with 500 people or last year, one with 250 or something. So really a big crowd is interested also here in Berlin and to LISC already, but we want to strengthen that with the center. From the week after that, it's open as usual every day from around 10 to 6 p.m. where people can just come in, have a coffee, work from there, exchange ideas with other people, can book a meeting room in the back in which they sometimes also can play a bit of ping pong if they want to. We also have a stage in there, so every meetup organizer here in Berlin can approach us and say, hey, can I use your space for tonight? And we would probably never say no. If it's a good one, maybe attracting Node.js, JavaScript, TypeScript developers, we would even sponsor them pizza and drinks, you know, so it will be really, really cool. And I already looking very much forward to meeting all these people and telling them more about Lisk feels a bit counterintuitive in the middle of a pandemic still to talk about having a physical space. But in the same fashion, we talked about Berlin having that ecosystem and the serendipity of simply bouncing into people by chance and having a conversation. That is truly what's missing during these times. And so I wish I could be there in Berlin, but I probably would have more problems coming back into Japan at this point than traveling to Germany, actually. You know, we have also a space in Tokyo. This one is not so much focused on developers. It's more focused on people looking for a co-working space. And when we are coming to Tokyo, that we have an event location there as well. We are based in the Binary Star co-working space. So it's really a beautiful spot, which we help them to advertise through being there also within the center, but also they support us in just attracting more people in Tokyo. Mentioning that it's a bit of a weird time, yes, but we started planning all of that in November last year. We announced it at the last ListJS event. This takes a long, long time to establish and no one knew what was coming in 2020, right? I guess people are hungry for social interactions. That's what I see here every day in Berlin. What I also see with my team, initially everyone was super enthusiastic about remote work and home office. And then after a few months, they were sick of it, like kids at home, wife at home, work at home, everything at home. And they needed this change of environment again. We have some people coming to the office now again as well under stricter regulation. We track who's coming every day. Not many people can come in they have to disinfect their hands, etc. every day there when they're coming in. So it's stricter, but people can still come in and people come in. So I think this will never go away. People want to socialize. People want to meet each other. When the situation is over, people will flock to the space even more. Definitely. And Binary Star has been a great partner for Tokyo Fintech as well over the last two years. So we had, I don't know how many events, uh, probably two dozen or so in 2019 and 20. Uh, one of the best locations in Tokyo, 11th floor overlooking Ginza. So if you make it to Japan at some point, please check it out as well. 
So we talked about the great community and it's an active community, as you said. There's, there's lots of proof of concepts that are being built in a number of different industries. What are some of the highlights that you would like to shed some light on? So in order to attract developers, we, of course, have to do something proactively. And that's why this List Builders program came about, where we finance two proof of concept blockchain applications every month coming from, let's call them more active community members, because we want to make sure that people who propose us something actually also deliver something. Many cool proof concept blockchain applications came about. We have, for example, one blockchain application, which is tracking an item's history and, and path it takes during its life. So you have many collector's items, hundreds of years old, but Sometimes you never know where they're coming from. They could have been stolen. They could have been hidden over the years and then just suddenly revealed. You never know. And this application would, for example, uh, show where it has been, what's the life cycle, uh, who owned it in the past, and so on. And then if you want to sell it to someone, you pass on ownership on the blockchain as well. Another one is Arcado Network, which is a decentralized reward system for games. If you're hosting, let's say, a multiplayer game by setting up a server for it, You can earn money this way because you're providing that server for a Counter-Strike session or so, and you can get rewarded for that. And um, maybe also the players then on that server can get rewarded by playing on your server. So it's like an incentivization method to pull people onto your game service. But obviously, we also have more traditional blockchain stuff being built. For example, um, just recently, someone was building a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization in which governance and operational processes of a company or of a community could be represented on a chain or another community member built an app which allowed a community or a company to make decisions in a decentralized way by voting mechanisms with a token on the chain. So there are many, many things being built with the Lisk SDK, but I call them and you call them proof of concepts. Because our network is live, it's running since 2016, but we don't have interoperability implemented yet. And what we want to do is we want to wait until that interoperability is implemented so that all these apps I just mentioned and many, many more apps, uh, which you can all inspect on our website, can actually hook up to our main chain or main network because else they are isolated islands, not bringing an advantage to our ecosystem as a whole. And we feel like that's not the way to go. We really want to create this connected ecosystem, this blockchain application platform on which people sign in into one user interface and they have access to all these different blockchain applications, their tokens, their consensus mechanisms, and so on and so forth. If a blockchain application requires a separate user interface, you install that app, everything is linking back to the Lisk ecosystem. So you can really securely use that blockchain application as well. That's why it's all proof concepts. We made this conscious decision that we say, okay, hey, we don't want these apps tokens listed on some exchanges and so on. Of course, we don't have 100% control over that, but the community is following our advice. And I'm looking forward to the Lisk SDK 5.0, which will come with many more changes and a security audit. And from there on, we are leaving the alpha phase of the SDK and move into the beta phase, which will already show a significant step forward for these proof concept blockchain application developers to take it more serious what they're developing. Because more and more voices within the community 
are popping up that they now really would like to build production-ready applications because their experience with the SDK is just so good. They say it's so easy, it's so secure, everything is running so smoothly, they didn't have problems setting up the application itself and developing it. So they don't really understand why we are saying, hey, only build proof concepts for now, if they are looking at the code quality and their experience. But we are looking also at the business aspect and we really need this interconnected network of networks to make LISC also a business success. The other crazy applications uh, where we have so much hype around is DeFi right now. The way you described your roadmap also is clearly all well thought out. It's a plan that you execute on. And to your credit and the team's credit, you're sticking to that plan to have a platform that is industrial strength at the end of the day. And so at the same time, you've got all this DeFi craziness. Is this something where you feel you you might be missing out a bit at this point, or you see some of the applications that are DeFi applications right now also being possible on LISC once it reaches the 5.0 level? This missing out or FOMO in general, I guess in today's world, you can have it any second with everything. There's so much happening in this world that you constantly fear that you're missing out. Especially as a CEO of a bigger crypto company, you're getting approached every single day with the most amazing business ideas. And I think that it's part of a founder's and CEO's responsibility to ignore that, to focus on your product, to focus on your vision, and to focus what you have laid out to do. Because I think the longer you work on your goals and make them reality, the more your progress is actually compounding and the better you make progress. And we've seen that over the last five years. So if we're now getting distracted and take this idea and that idea and do this and that, then we would not get anywhere. We would just run in a circle all the time, not making significant progress. And I think I would rather be a bit boring, but build what we have laid out and set up ourselves to do, to build that step-by-step until completion. And I fully believe that a blockchain SDK, which enables developers to build a blockchain application within a day, and a great blockchain interoperability solution, which enables them to connect that to an interconnected platform full of other blockchain applications, is a great piece of technology people are looking forward to. So I don't need today a sushi or nigiri DeFi token within our ecosystem if I know for 100% that in a few years' time, we will have similar projects, but more mature, less hype, more useful on the list blockchain application platform as well. The fear of missing out can be there, but I ignore it consciously and focus on the project itself. And I am fully confident that with the SDK, you can develop stuff like that, uh, or you will be able to develop even better things. And I fully believe that our community will do so. Resisting the temptation. That's fantastic. Wonderful, Max. I think we covered lots of ground, including all the exciting things that are coming up and some pre-announcements for the November 20th event. So looking forward to that. Any final comments? Anything we missed at this point? 
I think we have covered it all. It was great for you bringing up the most important points and it was a very good hour with you. Made a lot of fun. Thanks for this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to eating some sushi with you in Tokyo when I'm there next time, because maybe as you know, I love Japan. It's one of my most favorite countries and especially Tokyo, one of my most favorite cities in the world. Go there normally every year, multiple times. And I always enjoy it. So maybe we're not seeing sushi in the Lisk ecosystem as a DeFi product, but I hope to be able to eat it soon with you in Tokyo. That sounds like a plan. Thank you very yes. much, Mike. It was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it as well. And we'll follow what's coming up in the next months. Very excited about the progress. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Norman.